Hey, how's everybody doing? Good morning. So the title of the sermon today is Mind Blown. All right, I like, I like Lewis. I'm also a little bit jet lagged. Uh, we were at the royal wedding together. Uh, so sat right next to Oprah and everybody. It was, a, it was a good time. We send your regards to them. So, But today we get to worship the real king, right? King Jesus. And that's why we're all here. So, as I mentioned, the, the title of the sermon is Mind Blown. Have you ever had your mind blown, right? Have you ever heard some information? Like, wow, that's crazy, right? So, I have some mind-blowing facts I want to throw out at you guys here. So, the Earth appears to have a whole new underground continent called Zealandia. Okay? In 2017, a team of scientists concluded that Zealandia fulfills all the requirements to be considered a drowned continent. So don't travel there unless you're a good swimmer. The world's smallest fidget spinner is 100 microns wide. It is smaller than the width of a human hair. Barely visible to the naked eye. Hard to enjoy that fidget spinner, right? So it's theoretically possible to travel back and forth in time. We just don't have the technology and obviously, when they do finally get it, none of them care enough to come back to 2018, right? So there must be a lot of other stuff going on in the arc of history. Um, a new state of matter exists called the Time Crystals. That sounded very like Infinity Wars-esque, the Time Crystals. There's a planet where it rains glass sideways, okay? I don't want to go there. There's a species of jellyfish. That is essentially immortal, biologically uh, immortal, meaning it can die from a predator, but it won't die ever of old age. It just reverts back to being born again. Spiritual principle. Here's a real mind-blowing one. Teenage brains are actually different from adult brains. That might, that might be a shocker. I know that might be a shocker, that one. So, you know, how about for you? Has there ever been a moment uh, where your mind was blown? Where, you know, maybe sometimes you come into a conversation, you know, you have all your thoughts laid out for the conversation, and then a curveball just comes your way. And it completely throws you off like, oh, I was not anticipating that, right? Or have you ever thought one way for the majority of your life, only to realize there's another way to view something? That's a mind-blowing experience. It can be hard to stomach those kind of experiences, Right. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this conversation, this interaction that Jesus had um, with, a, with a Pharisee. We'll get into that. His name is Nicodemus. So we're going to look at this mind-blowing interaction that they had. Um, I want to give you guys a little background on Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. This was one of the largest uh, religious sects in Israel at this time. And um, it, it was one of the main Jewish parties uh, that existed. So it was Essenes, Pharisees, Sadducees. Um, the average Jew admired the Pharisees as examples of virtue. Uh, they were considered mainstays in Judaism. Uh, Nicodemus was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was he part of the largest uh, Jewish party, he was also part of the ruling council within that party. Um, he, was, he was also considered, you know, Jesus refers to him as Israel's teacher. Right? So he was one of the most influential religious leaders in one of the most religious places in the world, Israel. 
So this would be like, think of a, a large religion, a mainstream religion, and think of one of the more central figures within that religion. So we're talking, you know, like Pope, Billy Graham, Joel Olstein, all those people, those, those big names. That's who Nicodemus was. So we're going to get into this passage. If you go to John 3, 1 through 21, just read along with me. This awesome, mind-blowing experience. So now, so John 3, 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So the first thing I want to talk about, the first mind-blowing thing, is that being religious is not the same as being a Christian. That would be the first mind-blowing experience uh, for Nicodemus is being religious is not the same as being a Christian. And the reason that this would have been so mind-blowing to him is because he was born Jewish. So he he believed he was born saved. And not only that, but he was part of of the most prominent uh, Jewish parties at the time. And he practiced all of the traditions. He didn't think there was anything that he could have missed in all of this. He had studied it. He was referred to as Israel's teacher, Right? And so the idea that he, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, would have missed something would have been absurd to him. It would have been almost like, no, what are you you talking about? So let's let's break this interaction down a little bit. So Nicodemus, he comes to, he refers to him as, he acknowledges that Jesus is a good teacher, and he he refers to him as rabbi, right, which is teacher. And then Jesus takes that. Right. So you come to Jesus. You're all right. You're a good teacher. You're from God. You're amazing. Jesus takes that line of thought and he goes on to say something that will completely blow Nicodemus's mind. 
right? Like destroy his, his world for a moment, all right? And this is what Jesus goes on to say. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Then he quali- qualifies it by saying, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. All right. And everyone, you know, first century writers, New Testament writers up until the fourth century all knew this and believed this to be the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit at the baptism. All right. That's what they're referring to as water and spirit. All right. And and this is and this is Nicodemus response. How can this be? Because this obliterated everything Nicodemus had previously believed. He had grown up religious. He had grown up hearing this stuff all of the time, grown up with God's word in their home, in his home. And so it would be like, imagine, you know, you've spent your whole life reading the Bible, going to Sunday school, participating in all of the sacraments of your religion. And you go to Jesus, you go to his word to seek confirmation that you're good, that you're in good standing with him, that you're solid. And he says, you need to start over. You need to be born again. Right. That's That's intense. That's a tough. That's a hard pill to swallow at that moment. I've been in that place. I've sat in that seat where I've grown up doing it. And then I realized born again. Wait, so every what was I what was I doing then? Right. And that would have been his thought process. I don't think everything in his life was was all bad at that time. But he needed a monumental shift in his life at that point, even though he grew up religious. Even though he was there for his life. So I want to I wanna share a video with you guys really quick here. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white passed the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. All right. So who missed something? All right, almost everybody missed something from that video, right? First, first time I saw it, a lot of you guys laughed when you saw the gorilla. I missed the gorilla. You know, just throwing it out there, confess that. So... It's, it's easy. It can be easy to miss things depending on what we're looking for, right? We can have confirmation biases. We can go into things just reading the same passages that confirm what we already believe, not allowing ourselves to be challenged by new things, not allowing ourselves to be challenged by new philosophies, new thoughts. And, you know, Jesus points out, and Nicodemus missed it. 
And, it, and, and this video and many things in life can show us that it's easy to miss things. It's easier than we think to miss things. And Jesus points out, Jesus points out to him that he shouldn't have missed it, right? Because he says, you're Israel's teacher. You're Israel's teacher. You should know this was talked about. This regeneration, this born again thing, this was talked about even in the Old Testament, even in what you claim to be a teacher in. And if you go to Ezekiel 36, as just one example. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This was already talked about. And just like, you missed it. Right? You missed it. And Nicodemus missed it. And we can too. And it can be right in front of our faces. What it means to be a Christian instead of what it means to be religious, right? What it really means to follow Jesus, not just come to church, not just go through the motions, but really on a heart level, be transformed the way Jesus is telling Nicodemus that we need to be born again. You know, we can grow up in a religious culture, religious society, you know, Bible posts, Facebook, all of these things, and we can miss the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Have you missed it? Have you missed Christianity? Because if you miss being born again, if you miss being transformed, you've missed everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. And there's a point in your life where you're transformed, where you go from darkness to light. You were living one way, now you're living another way, right? Where Jesus has had such an impact in your heart that you will never forget it. You will never forget that moment. Don't settle for just being religious. Be a Christian. And if you have missed it, I've been there, okay? There's no shame. It happens. We miss it. But how do we respond once we realize it? How do we respond? Because so much is at stake. So much is at stake. He says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. That's a lot. A lot is at stake if we miss this. Second thing I want to talk about today that would have been mind-blowing is that we need to look up to Jesus. We need to look up to Jesus. And uh, in verse 14 of John chapter 3, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So, you know, on first glance, snake in the wilderness, what's that about? So Jesus compares himself with the snake in the wilderness, and this is back referring to a story in Numbers. So once again, Nicodemus would have been very familiar with what Jesus was saying at this time. The passage is Numbers 21, uh, verse 4 through 9. And I'll just, I'll sum it up for you guys. But basically, the Israelites were in the desert. They were grumbling against God. They were sick of the manna from heaven. They were sick of the food. All right. <laughs> I don't complain about food, right? Like, what else is new? Right? So they're complaining about that. Uh, we don't have bread. We don't have water. They say, we detest this miserable food. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people. And many, many of the Israelites died. So they cried out to Moses. They're like, Moses, we blew it. We, we realized we messed up here. Can you stop this? And so God tells Moses um, to put a snake on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it, and they'll live. They'll survive. So Moses, he made this bronze snake, and he put it on a pole, and whoever looked at it, they lived. 
And so that's mind-blowing because, okay, what's the connection then, right? Like, what, how does that relate to Jesus? Well, just as this snake was put on a pole, right, Jesus is going to be put on a pole, right? Jesus is going to be hung on a cross. And just as they could look to the snake, look up to the snake in faith to be healed, we can look up to Jesus on the cross and also be healed. And that's, that's the connection. But it's mind-blowing because it, even for them, the Israelites, it doesn't make sense. How could me looking up at the very thing that is attacking me actually heal me? Right? So looking at a snake heals me? And how could looking at Jesus crucified, condemned as a criminal who is dying actually save me? How can a dying person save me? It wouldn't have made sense. But that was the faith that they needed to have, that I believe. And as we look up to Jesus crucified, it means we're honoring his sacrifice. We're embracing his love that he has for us. We're honoring what he stood for. We accept him. We believe in him. We believe in his way of life. We embrace that love that he has for us. And we're convicted of how we played a part. And we just surrender. We just surrender to the realities of who we are. Think of the impact Jesus had in any group of people he was. Any group of people that looked up to Jesus would be incredibly impacted. And so you guys are familiar with the story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Most of you are. And um, you remember what happens, right? So they bring her out and they ask Jesus, you know, they try to trap Jesus into either stoning her, freeing her. Either way, he would be, you know, he would have to answer a follow-up questions, okay? So they want to stone this woman. And what Jesus asks them also blows their minds when he says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. You know, and everybody in that group was looking to Jesus for an answer, even if it was in a even if it was in a trapping kind of way. They so even in that, Jesus finds a way to save, right? That they look to Jesus and they say, "What do we do about this woman? Our law says this, but you're preaching this message. How do we reconcile these two things?" Jesus's response is, "If you're without sin, you can go ahead and throw the first stone." And what happens? Everybody drops their stone. Everybody drops their stone because they're convicted. They see their sin. They, they, they look to Jesus and his wisdom. They saw their sin. And, and, and he saved this woman's life. And when we look to Jesus, we have people wanting to throw stones all around us. We have Satan trying to throw stones at us as well. We have our insecurities throwing stones at us. We have peer pressure throwing stones at us. We have all these voices that are throwing stones at us. And when we look to Jesus, all of them drop their stones. Everything that's fighting against us, they don't have any more power when we look to Jesus. And we're saved. And we're saved by that, just looking to Jesus. We're saved because of his arrival and free from accusation. And it's not just that others drop their stones. We also got to drop ours. Right? Some, Some of us, we hold stones. We can do that. And when we look up to Jesus crucified on the cross, we have to drop him as well. Be convicted. We look up to Jesus and we drop our stones of criticalness. We look up to Jesus, we drop our stones of hatred and anger. Right? We look up to Jesus and we stop throwing these stones. I see virtual Facebook stones, social media stones, whatever the stones are, we drop them. 
right? We look up to Jesus. We stop thinking, I got it all figured out. And, and I want to let you know, and I'm going to hit you with this stone. You're hurting my... And it's just hurt people hurt people, right? But when we look to Jesus, we find healing. We don't want to hurt anybody anymore. And we drop our stones. When we look to Jesus on the cross, we can only be broken by how much we have been saved. And just be ashamed of ourselves for ever launching a stone in the first place. That's the only reaction to looking at Jesus on a cross. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're being reminded by the Hebrew author, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. As soon as we take our eyes off Jesus, we pick up a stone. It's exactly how it happens. As if we're picking up a stone, it's because our eyes are off Jesus. And we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. What stones are you currently holding? What stones do you feel like other ha- others have against you? We just got to drop them. Let them go. Look up to Jesus. You know, I, I know for me, I can be ready to hurl stones too. You know, and, and obviously it's when I take my eyes off Jesus. And I'm, I'm most tempted to do that, you know, when I feel unappreciated or disrespected. You know, I'm like, oh, I get angry, right? And, I, and, I, and then I'm like, I go for it. I'm like, oh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And I can be tempted to grab that stone, you know. And I know you guys can relate. You know, sometimes at your jobs, at home, in school, you can feel disrespected. You can feel unappreciated, right? And we can go to grab that stone. And we can go to do it. And we just got to look up at Jesus in those moments. We have to look up to Jesus, all of us, in those moments. And we will feel the freedom to drop them. We won't want to hold on to them. It would be like it's burning our hand just to hold on to it. He gives us an excuse to let go. Have you let go of your stones? You have to choose stone or Jesus. The last thing in this conversation that Nicodemus was having with Jesus um, that would have been mind-blowing is this idea of living in the light. The concept of living in the light. And if you look in, the, in verse 20 of John chapter 3, so back to the main text, it says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And this would have been mind-blowing in a culture that demanded strict obedience. You know, the idea of coming into the light would have meant, oh, I didn't obey something in the law. Or it also would have been radical in a, in a culture of power struggle as well, even religious power struggle, where you admit a weakness and it would be another reason for someone to put you kind of beneath them. So kind of reminiscent of think of a political kind of arena, right? It's like you look for the skeletons on other people. No one actually brings those forward themselves. They have to be found by someone else, right? Because for someone to bring it themselves would be crazy. But Jesus is saying, like, this is being a, a born-again Christian. This is what it looks like. We live in the light, right? And so, but for them at this time, it would have risked everything. It would have risked their position, their power, their ability to influence. And, and you know, we all have skeletons as well. We all have stuff that we don't like sharing, with other people. We don't like even sharing it with God. We don't even like admitting that we have them to ourselves. 
And have you ever been open about yours? I'm just asking, has it ever been something you've talked about? And Jesus says the reason we aren't open is because we love the darkness. We don't want them to be exposed. We want them to stay there hidden. And those skeletons love staying in the closet. Bringing them out? Whoa. We'll fight tooth and nail instead of bringing anything out that we don't want to share. Every single wall comes up as soon as, as, soon as the, the proposition of sharing something scary comes. Right? Every single wall comes up. We don't... Oh, we fight back. We yell, well, why I got to know, you know, in my business, right? It's like every wall comes up when it comes, when it comes time to talk about stuff, to live in the light. You know, before we admit things like, it's hard to admit certain things. There's certain things it's easy to talk about, you know, but then some other things are a little bit harder. And that could be like jealousy, admitting I'm jealous, right? That's a hard thing to admit, like that I'm actually jealous of somebody else. That's tough. Admitting hatred, because it's so strong that you're like, I don't even want to say that word. Admitting that you're envious. Admitting that you're bitter. Every wall comes up, and every, we make every excuse in the book before we admit to those things. Yet Jesus references that we can either choose the light or we can choose the darkness. And then it's an appeal to come into the light. So John, the same author, he, he, he speaks on this further in 1 John. On this idea of living in the light. First John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is just a reminder to keep bringing our deeds out from the darkness, confessing our sins, being real with who we are, where we are, our weaknesses, what's going on. You know, personally, I'm scared of losing sight of the importance of confession. Confessing sin is a touchy thing. I know. I know it's touchy. How how do you do this? How does this all work? I get it. Yet it's important because it's a part of living in the light. It's worth figuring out. Okay, you maybe have a different way of viewing it. Just let's figure it out biblically. What does it mean? How does it work? It's hard, though. So we will find every excuse not to do it because we don't like it. Right? Instead of being open. And it's hard coming into life. We're masters of justifying our sins. I mean... And just hiding things. Because, I mean, just a small example. I remember the other day we were driving, um, uh, Lamisha and I, uh, we were driving to Hartford uh, with a couple of the teens. They probably didn't even notice this. But <laughs> it's one of those, like, quiet little things that happen between Lamisha and I. So we're following the GPS. Lamisha says, oh, I think you're supposed to take that turn. I'm looking at the GPS. The GPS is telling me that it's another, you know, I think it was, like, in 600 feet. And it was right, I was at the turn. So I'm, so I'm like, all right, well, I'll just follow the GPS. So I didn't follow Lamisha's, what Lamisha said, right? And I was wrong, okay? I was wrong. And then, but I justified it. I was like, babe, the GPS, and you know, like, sometimes we get a little confused about the directions. And so, but I justified it. Instead of just saying, you know what? I blew it. You were right. You're always right, Lamisha. You know? 
You always know the direction is. But it's hard to admit. It's hard to admit that I was wrong. I justified. I blamed the GPS. I blamed everything else. You know, and it's just tough to come out. But, but living in the light, what does that generally speaking look like? That we don't try to act like we have it all figured out. You know, that we talk about our weaknesses. We bring new sin to light. We don't hide it. We don't try to cover things up. We don't act like we all have it going on. This scripture to me is encouraging because it says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. So guess what we all have in common? Sin, right? So it's okay to be open about it. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about where you're at. If you're angry with a brother or sister, just admit it. If you don't like the way someone said something to you, just talk about it. If you don't... if, if if you have so much junk in your life that you're scared to discuss it, just bring it up and watch what happens. If there's anything you're hiding, just bring it into the light. When I was studying the Bible, I was a mess. I was a disaster, okay? And, and so, but I remember that feeling of coming into the light, of just being able to put it all out there. Here's who I am. Here's where I am. Here's where I've been. It felt amazing. I felt nothing but love and forgiveness in doing that. And I want to encourage us all to continue to live our lives in the light every day. And so, lastly, this mind-blowing conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, did it have an impact on Nicodemus, right? How did Nicodemus walk away? That's, that's the question. I personally think, and I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures, that Nicodemus thought about this conversation every single day. And I don't know if you ever had a Bible study like that, where you leave and you cannot shake it. All right, or you read a scripture and you're like, I can't forget the scripture that I just read. And I think Nicodemus thought about this conversation that he had with Jesus every single day. And so eventually you see Nicodemus show up again in John 7. And it says in verse 50, Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he was been doing? Then, he rep- then they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find a prophet does not come out of Galilee. He gets made fun of for standing up for Jesus. Right. So already he's seen it. And I think after that, he was done with the religious world. I think he was just done with religiosity. He was like, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple. And then you see, lastly, what, where do we see him last? In verse 38 of John 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus that night. So Nicodemus, who previously came to Jesus in the night because he was embarrassed, now shows his love for Jesus in the light, publicly. He shows how much he loves Jesus. I believe he got the message, that he believed, that he repented, he was baptized, he decided to walk in the light and the love of Christ. He was with Jesus, his rabbi, at the end. How will we respond? Thank you. All right. Amen, Pat. Thank you so much for giving us a, a clearer picture of what it means to really follow Jesus and not just know who Jesus is. So that was great. It's been a great day. If you're visiting with us, we are thrilled that you're here. Please find out what we've got going on because we are a very busy church in a good way. But there's always things going on during the week. And we would love for you to be a part of all the stuff that we've got happening here. Make sure you sign up for Thrive before uh, the 22nd. You want to make sure you make that deadline. Uh, We're going to say a prayer. We have one more song, and we'll have a great time of fellowship. Let's go to God in prayer. 
Father, we love you so much. Thank you for giving us this church here in Connecticut and for the relationships and the friendships that we enjoy, that we have, and for the foundation that we have through the Word, and we get to know who you are. Bless the rest of our day. Bless our walk with you, Father. Please help us to enjoy this time, however many years we have, to enjoy the life that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.